Hey there, it's Sarah. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up that we talk about disordered eating in this episode. So if that is something that you're going to find upsetting, you might want to skip it. Welcome to another Mother Runner. I'm Sarah Bowen Shea, and my co-host today is Amanda Loudon. How you doing, Amanda? I'm doing well, Sarah. How about you? I am good. I am good, although, my gosh, it is... Went walking this morning, 35 degrees here in Portland, Oregon, which is insanely cold for this early in the season. Yeah, I think Colorado is having some of the same. It was about 29 this Ooh. morning and there's already snow in the flat irons. And I mean, I only have one year to compare it to, but a year ago, that wasn't the case this mm. early in November. So mm. I'm a little discouraged. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm getting to escape it. I am going to, on Saturday, I leave for the Bay Area, recording a podcast at Goo Headquarters in Berkeley on Tuesday with Allison Desir, which I'm really excited about. Oh, that's so great. How yeah. fun. Yes, it's on her book tour for Running While Black. Very excited yes. about that. And then I had to, directly from San Francisco the following morning to fly to Dallas, Texas, to meet my son, John, there. And he is going to take his first airplane trip solo. He's going to fly from Portland to Dallas because he's doing what's, um, I'm not sure I've shared this on the podcast, but John is applying to musical theater BFA and dance BFA programs, which is a whole big thing compared to mm. just applying to college because yeah, <laughs> you have to get absolutely. into the college academically and then get accepted to the BFA program and, yeah. and lots of hoops to jump through pre-auditions, auditions, screening videos, all sorts of things. And so he's doing kind of a unified style audition series. So there's, I don't know, maybe 20 colleges and he has chosen about 10 of them to audition for. And there'll be about 150 maybe other kids there wow. doing the same thing. And so they do the dance portion, you know, because musical theater is dance, singing, and acting. And so they do the dance auditions in groups rather than solo. Okay. But then they have one-on-one -on -one interviews or auditions, I should say, for where go in and depending on the school, they'll be like, okay, you're going to do a 60 second contemporary monologue and a 30 second classic song and a 90 second contemporary song or something like that. So, wow. Yes. Yeah, so in all, di you know, different lengths, different genres, whatever. And so he has a lot of things prepared. So it's going to be exciting. I, I mean, I know he's been um, performing pretty much his whole life, but does he get nerves for that kind of a situation? It's interesting. So he hasn't, I mean, my involvement thus far in this process has, part of it has been recording him, like being the one to literally press record on the iPhone and then stand there silently with my back turned toward him while he does his oh, wow. song. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. And you should see it. So, yeah, oh my gosh, he had to move all this furniture so he could have a big enough blank wall to be standing in front of. And so then he literally said, Mom, you can't look at me while I'm doing it. So we agreed that I would stand there with my back turned. Oh, because I also have to press the play button for the accompaniment music. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so I would just either stand with my back toward him or just kind of crouch down with my back toward him. And a couple of times I started crying while he was singing. <laughs> Aww. And afterwards, he'd be like, Mom, were you crying? 
<laughs> nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> and I explained that I was moved by his singing, but also he, one of his, he's a baritone. And so I guess that means he has fewer songs to choose from in the canon of musical theater. And uh, <laughs> so he chose a song called The Proposal from the musical Titanic, which Interesting side note, Dimity and I saw on Broadway together about a billion years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. That's (laughs) funny. And it's terrible. Uh, (laughs) But but, but it's this this shipman and he's, you know, uh, in his mind, he's thinking about his beloved back in, I assume, his home country of Ireland. And so he's singing to her about what she looks like and that he wants to marry her and that he wants, you know, God to keep her safe until they return. And so... It's a very poignant song, but Mm -hmm. I also start crying because that person, while fictional, is representative of the people who really worked in the, you know, the engine room of the Titanic and they all died and their beloveds were bereft back home. Right, right. So, yeah, I I got a little too into the scene, I guess. So funny. It's so great. (laughs) So anyway, so we are in Dallas from Wednesday to Sunday. And this is all my way of saying I am counting on better weather in the Bay Area and Dallas than here in Portland. Well, I I would hope you would get that in those two places. I I hope so. But I did look at the weather in Dallas and it said on a couple of the days, oh, a low of 37 and a high of 52. I'm like, no, 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 no. I wasn't planning on packing a coat to go to Texas. Right. (laughs) Not the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) But I I do know I'll get longer daylight hours. So, I mean, it stays lighter in Texas about an hour later than it does here in Portland. Oh, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. It's very nice. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, also speaking of weather, I did finally retire swimming at the pond this Mm. season, Amanda. That so. sad time of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, made it to October 18th. And, wow, that's great. Yeah, and I got it. I'm a, a little record keeper. I make little um, hash marks with a Sharpie on the back of my parking permit every time I swim. And I swam 45 times this season. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. I was very That's ex- really nice. I was very excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I told you that there is a pool here, an outdoor pool Ooh. that stays open year round. Nice. Um, and so Pam and I are actually going on uh, November 18th. We are going and swimming together in the outdoor pool. So that's, I've been once, but that was before it got really cold. So mm. we have like an 8 a.m. reservation and I'm guessing mm. it's going to be really, really cold on deck. Oh. So I'm excited to do it though. Like I just, I just something about the novelty of it, right? Being able oh, to swim outdoors. Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I think I told, I told you that I got to swim outdoors on Mother's Day this year while my family was out in Bend and it snowed on me and that mm. was so thrilling. Oh my gosh. That is and, wild. And, and yeah. to be able to feel the little snowflakes hit my arm on the recovery was That's cool. literally very cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I like swimming in the rain for that reason too. I like feeling I too. rain hitting my arm. Yeah. 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 And I always laugh when people don't go swimming when it's raining because I'm kind of like, you're going to get wet, though. So I never understood that. But I don't know. To each his own. It's the same people who are like, oh, how do you swim in the winter? And they're talking about indoors. And they're like, I just get so cold getting naked and then getting wet. Right. Right. (laughs) right. Yeah. No, that doesn't doesn't hold me back. No, no. Yeah. 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 So I have I have returned to the pool and I was so pleased this very dark lifeguard who's at this pool 
who's such a cutie. Oh my gosh, she looks like just this angelic young man. So I walked past him. He was talking to somebody, so I didn't say anything to him. And then as I was getting ready to get in the pool, I hear somebody from behind me goes, oh, I was wondering when you'd come back to the pool. And I'm like, my first thought is, he remembered. Uh, that's great so yeah 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 oh my gosh but the drive is about mm, 25 to 30 minutes and Uh, i mean i drive a hybrid vehicle but i am very much aware of the fact that it i use up gas to go there gas costs a lot of money these days it's not great for the environment and i feel badly about it and so my husband, Jack, said to me, isn't there a pool you could swim at that's closer? And I just thought, oh, no, you don't. You are not taking this away from me. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I feel guilty enough about this on my own. I don't need any extra guilt. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I shut down that line of conversation very quickly. <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, you have fun on the 18th with Pam, who actually is our guest. So this is a crossover episode with the Real Fit Podcast with Pam Moore because our guest is Pam Moore. (laughs) So Pam is an intuitive eating coach and a successful freelance health and fitness writer, just as you are, Amanda. And Pam's pieces have appeared in Self, Runner's World, Women's Running, and many other publications. Pam's also the author of a memoir-esque book called There's No Room for Fear in a Burly Trailer and Other Stories, which came out in 2015. She's a resident of Boulder, Colorado. You are there at her home, as you well know, Amanda, recording in the same room with her. Pam is also a mother of two school-age kiddos and a runner and a triathlete who's completed six marathons and two Ironman races. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this is kind of fun because I'm interviewing a friend. Pam and I are sitting here with our coffee together in her home. Our first question for you, Pam, is tell us a little bit about your athletic background. I would love to. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me. This is so much fun. My athletic background, to be honest, growing up, I was not athletic at all. I was the kid who was figuring out how I could get out of gym class. I struggled to finish the mile and the, you know, what is that? Like the presidential fitness it's challenge. challenge. <laughs> yeah. 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 I played <laughs> lacrosse in the ninth grade. This is very weird. I think partly to get out of the gym requirement, <laughs> the logic was faulty. <laughs> <laughs> Only thing I discovered from that though, was that I really enjoyed running and that I wasn't too bad at it. So I stuck with it. Since then I have run six marathons. I've done two Ironman triathlons and I have two kids now. My oldest is 10 and a half. So since she was born, I've focused more on running and shorter distances. And then since my second was born, who's eight, eight and a half, running isn't cooperating with my body as well as it used to, or vice versa. My body is not cooperating as well as it did. So I'm doing a lot of swimming, more biking and weightlifting. That's that's me athletically in a nutshell. <laughs> All right. Well, Pam, since you and I haven't met in person, I had to rely on the interweb to learn that you are a mighty five feet tall, a height <laughs> I achieved in fifth grade and kept going. So how do you feel being on the shorter end of things have shaped your athletic life? Oh, that's a really good question. I can tell you socially, it was not great. Like I, I have a very distinct memory of being really young and being in ballet class. And all I really remember from ballet was the other girls wanted to play house and make me the baby. Oh. <laughs> and, and I hated it. <laughs> and this would, Amanda, this would be hard for you to believe, but I was very shy. So I can't imagine. <laughs> I didn't have it in me to say, quit it. I want to be the mom. <laughs> so I quit ballet. <laughs> 
<laughs> that seemed like the only option, quit ballet. But I, overall, I don't think it's been an issue. When I really wanted a nice bike, a nice triathlon bike, a carbon mm-hmm. fiber aero bars bike, I did struggle to find a bike that would fit me. And I had mm-hmm. to get a custom bike, which wow, not the worst thing in the world. It's a lovely bike. I love it. Yeah, it hasn't. I'm trying to think. It hasn't. You know, I've never been any other way. This mm-hmm. is just the only way I've ever been. I'm used to looking up at people. It's just it's how it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, talking about that bike, I saw on Instagram, you completed an aqua bike race, which my business partner, Dimity, she's an aqua bike racer herself. So you did mm. that in early September that had surprisingly lousy weather. So yes. you got <laughs> to share that challenge with us. Oh, Sarah, it was horrible. <laughs> it looked horrible. It truly did. <laughs> it really was horrible. Um it was so horrible to put some numbers on it. If I remember correctly, I want to say somewhere around 40 to 45% of the participants like who had signed up did not even take their timing chip. Forget about getting to the start line. They didn't even come to the pre-race thing to get their bags. So wow. it was awful. You know, normally in early September in Colorado, we have blue skies. You know, it's one of those crisp mornings. Maybe it's 50 degrees in the morning. It's going to warm up to 70 by 9 or 10 a.m. It was not one of those days. It was it was raining on and off all morning. When we started the swim, they shortened it. It was supposed to be 1.2 miles. And it, I guess it was, but instead of doing an out and back, they had us do two small squares because the visibility was very poor. Mm. And it was poor to the point where even when I stopped to tread water and take my goggles off and really look around, I still couldn't see. Mm. And I'm a pretty weak swimmer, so I wasn't really with the pack. So that was no help to me. After the first, you know, 500 yards, I was like, all right, I'm on my own here. What am I doing? Wow. And it was just an exercise in staying calm and trying to have good attitude and um, took my time in transition, just put on lots of layers. And I would say by the 15th, it was a 56 mile bike by the 15th mile or so, I realized I really cannot feel my hands very well. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. That was not fun. I had there was a really nice volunteer who was giving out Gatorade and stuff, and he helped me pre-rip all my gels so that I could just, <laughs> you know, have them ready to go. Yeah, I finished. That was the right triumph. On. Was just right that on. I finished. You know, yeah. I, my family came and spectated me, and I was like, I'm not dragging them here to show them that I trained for this all summer, and then I quit. So mm-hmm. tried to make the best of it. Wow! 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 Well, congratulations on getting through that. Thank you. <laughs> so we are going to dig into what you do as a career and you are an intuitive eating coach. Um, talk to us about what that is and how you became one. Yeah, I'll start with how I became one. It really stemmed from my own intuitive eating journey. So officially, these questions all kind of go together. I, I was trained as an occupational therapist. I have a master's degree in occupational therapy, worked in healthcare for over 10 years transitioned gradually to journalism when my second child was born. So I'm now a freelance writer. I write a lot about health and fitness. And something that I had always kind of struggled with was food. I didn't have an eating disorder per se, but I think like a lot of people, I was a disordered eater. And I think a lot of the disordered eating habits that we have are very culturally acceptable. Like nobody will think it's strange if you're like, oh, I didn't eat breakfast. I'm intermittent fasting or, oh, I just don't do carbs, you know, or I just don't do, you know, fill in the blank, especially in Boulder. Um, And I'm guessing, Sarah, you're in Portland, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if it's similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we travel across the country for AMR. So I hear a lot of things like you're saying. Yeah. 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 And I think among athletes too, especially I got into CrossFit for a while I mean, it wasn't weird in CrossFit if your meal before a big workout was going to be just some form of like vegetables and 
you know, some protein. I was like, yeah, that's cool. But carbs are a really important food group. Anyhow, I digress. I had had a lot of struggles with food, just taking up a lot of, let's say, mental real estate. I thought that I had what we could call food freedom when I was training for Ironmans, because, you know, when you're training like that 15 to 20 hours a week, of course, you're going to be very hungry. So it felt really good to me to feel like I had justification. I'm using air quotes, um, <laughs> although you cannot see me to eat kind of whatever. But then when I wasn't training for an Ironman, which is most of the time, <laughs> I didn't feel that way. And I always was sort of doing this mental calculus of like, okay, well, if I'm having pizza later, which I know I am, I shouldn't have the bagel for breakfast, or I know I'm having my kid's friend is having a birthday, I'm going to be eating cake, so I can't have it. It was very complicated and very annoying. And my, I would say like rock bottom was I got really into counting macros. Mm. My kids were little, like how old were they? It was like four years ago, so six and four. And they would ask me, like, what are you doing? They would watch because I was weighing my food and I was measuring everything out. I was, and then I was logging it. It was a big time like math problem. Mm. And they'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I would say, oh, I'm just being healthy. Mm. But in my head, it was not... It, yeah, I mean, I guess I wanted to be healthy, but really I was wanting to get leaner. I had this idea of how an athlete was quote unquote supposed to look. And I didn't look like that. And I was like, well, this is, this doesn't make sense. You know, I've been teaching spin classes forever. You know, I've been doing CrossFit. I do marathons. I do all these things. I'm not supposed to look this way. Actually, no, I was supposed to look exactly how I looked. I had a false set of expectations and I was putting way too much weight on it. And I finally just one day I, I had to stop. I realized this is madness. I was asking the app I was using, what am I supposed to eat now? I'm really hungry and I'm following the direction. You know, I'm following the mm. diet. I didn't use the word diet. I didn't think it was a diet. It was a lifestyle, of course. What do I do? And then it just sort of hit me. I was about to turn 40. It was like a few, maybe a week before my birthday. And I thought, why am I waiting? For, I'm a grown woman and I'm waiting for an app to tell me what to eat. Mm. And my kids, my two daughters are watching this. Mm. This is madness. And I thought at the time, I'm just going to stop counting macros for a week. And a week turned into, I mean, indefinitely, I don't do that anymore. Mm. And then from there, I just started exploring and reading more and more about intuitive eating and realized this is in alignment with my values. You know, intuitive eating is listening to your own body and trusting your own body to tell you what to eat. It's, and I think it's that way in a lot of other ventures in life. We already know the answers and we're looking outside of ourselves when really, if we tune in, it's all it's all here for us. Mm. Mm. Nice. So th that four years ago, let's dive a little deeper into that. For folks who don't know, what does it mean that you're counting your macros? I'll, I'll admit that I'm a little kind of hazy on what that means. Okay. To be clear, I'm not endorsing this. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, if it works for you, by all means, anyone who's listening, if it's working for you, I'm not, you know, go ahead. But it, you, you know, the three major macronutrients are protein, carbs, and fat. And if you eat them in a certain ratio, so we're not talking about counting calories. You're looking at how many grams of carbohydrate am I going to eat today? How many grams of protein and how many grams of fat? And so I told this app, this is my height. This is my weight. This is my activity level. And this is my goal, whether it's to bulk up before, you know, not me, but some people might want to use it to bulk up mm -hmm. before they cut, you know, these power lifters and figure competition people. I was looking to get leaner. So yeah, it was, it would tell me, okay, you can have this many carbs today, this much protein, this much fat. And if you hit these numbers, you'll see performance gains and you will get leaner. And I definitely did get a little leaner. I don't know about performance gains. I'm trying to remember. It's hard to say. I was going to CrossFit and it's like, you know, I wasn't necessarily logging everything, all my lifts mm -hmm. and everything. But anyhow, 
Mm-hmm. That's essentially what that is. And it's also called, I've heard it called flexible dieting. Mm-hmm. But it's like a Tetris puzzle. It would be like 1030 <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, 1030 in the morning, I'd be like, ooh, okay, I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat later and what I already ate. Okay, I'm not joking you. I remember eating this for a snack. Three quarters of a banana, uh, two cups of spinach, and uh, I don't know, like 33 grams of edamame or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of weighing and counting. and Yeah, yeah. Mm. It sure is. I remember like my family has a tradition of going to Dairy Queen on the last day of school with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to go, of course. And I like Dairy Queen. And I was like, oh, I can make this work, especially because Dairy Queen tells you all the calories and fat grams and everything on their website. So Mm -hmm. I'm like on the Dairy Mm -hmm. Queen website at 630 in the morning calculating in my ice cream that I'm planning what I'm going to order 15 hours in advance. And now I'm planning all my other food around it. So is it flexible? I guess so, because you can eat Dairy Queen, but is it flexible in that I'm like standing at my laptop at six in the morning in my pajamas, planning out my day of food just to have fun with my kids? Mm. In my mind, no, that's not the life that I wanted to really be living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So on your website, you also describe yourself as a weight neutral health coach. Can you tease this term apart for us a bit? Yes, absolutely. Actually, I've changed my website since then, but basically means... Uh, are you familiar with the philosophy health at every size? Yes. yes. Okay. It just means you can be healthy at every size. And it's forgetting about weight as an indicator of health. I think mm-hmm. that we've conflated as a culture weight and health. They don't necessarily, one's not necessarily indicative of the other. So what healthy habits can people adopt that, you know, whether or not you lose weight is moot. The point is, do you feel better? Do you have more energy? If you do have problems with blood sugar or cholesterol, are your markers improving? And we know from the data that people by, you know, eating more fruits and vegetables, by walking more, you know, all the healthy habits that we already know are good for you. When you do those things, you do get healthier regardless of weight loss. So Pam, you and I were planning this, the timing of this episode to coincide with the start of the holiday season, a very food-centric time of year that's fraught for a lot of folks. So do you agree that this is a particularly tough time for a lot of women, particularly those who might fixate on numbers on the scale? Absolutely. For a lot of reasons. Like, obviously, number one, you're surrounded by foods that our society has told us are, quote unquote, bad. Mm -hmm. And that's so. especially not only are they, quote unquote, bad and you want them because they taste good and they remind you of your childhood or whatever, you know, maybe the traditional food you always eat with your grandmother, whatever it may be. If you've been restricting, whether physically like not eating all the foods that you want to eat or even mentally restricting, meaning, oh God, I shouldn't have the ice cream. I shouldn't have the ice cream. I shouldn't. And then you get invited out to ice cream and you think, well, I won't order any, or you think I'll just get the kid size. And then you eat the sundae and then you feel guilty. That's a form of that. I would call that mental restriction, right? If you, that's kind of how you live. And now you're surrounded by all this food. Maybe you're staying at someone else's house. You don't have control over everything you're going to eat. And the leftovers are surrounding you and your mom is in your face, like have more, have more, you know, or your aunt or whatever it may be. There's that. And then there's also the added pressure that many people feel because they're seeing friends and family that they may not have seen for a while. Mm -hmm. And depending on the family culture, it may not be unusual for people to be kind of checking each other out, making little comments or or even even a comment like, oh, no more for me. I'm being good. Mm. Okay. Well, what does that mean for Amanda? She's having thirds. Does that mean I think she's bad? <laughs> and, you know, me and Amanda don't have like a long shared history, but if like we were sisters or cousins, you know, with, with family, as I think we all know, sometimes a conversation isn't happening. It's ha- yes, it's happening right now, but it's also mm-hmm. uh, there. It can be really loaded. You know, yes. you can have a lot of baggage with an, what sounds like a normal conversation about food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot going on beneath the surface. 
Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, it's time for us to take a brief sponsor break. Stay with us as we'll dive deeper into intuitive eating with Pam after this break. Okay, so Pam, you wrote in an Instagram post that food freedom is a beautiful thing. Talk a bit about that, please. Yeah, well, first of all, I'll define food freedom. To me, food freedom is feeling free to eat anything you want. It's giving yourself full permission to eat as much as you want, whatever food you want. As long, and let me make exceptions for, you know, say you're vegan for ethical reasons. Of course, I'm not telling you to eat meat. If you keep kosher, if you are celiac, if you have, you know, you're lactose intolerant, I'm talking about that. You know, food freedom is asking yourself, how will this food make me feel? Not just in my belly and physically, but also spiritually, like in my heart. Am I enjoying, you know, this piece of cake among friends celebrating a retirement or a graduation or a birthday, right? All of those things. How will that make me feel? as opposed to how might this make me look? Mm. To me, that's real food freedom. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right. So Pam, I realize this is a massive topic, but can you share a few tenets or starting points about how to have a healthy relationship with food, exercise, and one's body? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I will caveat that like some people are definitely going to need more than coaching. You know, um, if it's really runs deep, therapy might be the answer. This is this is deep stuff. And we eat, you know, three to five, maybe more times a day. We eat a lot, you know, we should. Um, So it comes up a lot, you know. Um, But yeah, basic tenets of intuitive eating. There are actually 10 principles. I won't bore you with all 10 of them. (laughs) But a few main ones. Number one, I would say is let go of the diet mentality. Mm. Recogn- First of all, recognizing what that is, recognizing that even though I think diets kind of fell out of favor, like with our mothers, we don't really talk about dieting anymore. But Noom, for example, is a great, uh, not not to bash Noom, but mm, kinda. Noom has co-opted a lot of the language of intuitive eating. Mm. And I mean, Noom is giving you a red light, a green light and a yellow light, as I understand it, for different food choices. And to me, if that's not saying some foods are good and some foods are bad, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. So dropping labels off of the food. um, So even if you're not on a diet, if you're saying, if you're listening to this and going, oh, but I don't do Weight Watchers or WW now, I don't count calories. I don't skip breakfast. Okay, fine. But do you think carbs are bad? Are you nervous about eating white rice if it comes on the side of your Chinese order. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a million different ways to be stuck in diet mentality that don't necessarily look like a diet. For some people that looks like orthorexia or being really obsessed with clean eating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that's working for you, you know, if you find, okay, I don't have as many stomach aches, I feel more energetic, that's great. But also like at what cost? Is it really working for you? If you're Constantly somebody who is looking at the menu well in advance, really strategizing what you're going to eat. When you think about going to a party and you don't know what's going to be served, are you making sure to fill up beforehand or are you making rules? For, that's what I, I used to do. I used to do many disordered behaviors, but one of them was making up a lot of rules for myself. Mm-hmm. At this buffet, I will only go up one time or I will only have one serving of bread. Or if I have bread, I won't have dessert. Or the only way I will let myself eat dessert if I don't have, you know, just so many rules. Mm-hmm. So if you've got rules, look at, so letting go of those rules. And um, that's number one. And that may be easier to do if you do some research on the effectiveness of diets. They are not effective. Even if, you know, you, you want to live like that diets, they don't work long term. And I'm talking like not six months, but like two to five years, like they generally for most people do not work. So that's number one. 
Another thing to think about with intuitive eating, and I think it's huge, this was a big one for me, was permission to eat all the foods. Like mm-hmm. one of the reasons, like this is another mother runner, right? We all have kids. What happens? All right. Can I assume we all have kids? Oh, <laughs> mostly. A lot, a lot. yeah, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. What happens when you tell your kid that they can't press the button? open a door, eat a food. What do they want? They want to do that thing. (laughs) The brain is the brain is the brain, whether you're two or three or 44, right? We, (laughs) We want the thing we feel like we can't have. And I was shocked at how much I used to think that I was out of control around various foods when actually it was the restriction mentality that got me all in a kerfuffle. The the food becomes so charged when you're telling yourself, I can't have that. I can't have that. And then you're like, oh God, I had one. Ah, I might as well eat all of them and have, you know, none of them tomorrow. You know, tomorrow I'm eating the salad. Like, I think that's something most people can relate to. But when I started the path of intuitive eating, I used to do this little mind trick with myself. I would say to myself, okay, I see a cookie. It looks really good. Like for example, um, but do I want it? Or or am I just like thinking I want it? Because for so long, I told myself I couldn't have it, you know, unless all these conditions were met, you know, unless you went on a 30 mile bike ride or whatever the case. And so I would imagine I would go, hmm, you know, Pam, you actually can have like 40 of those cookies. If you really wanted, you could have, you know, I would imagine some ridiculous number of cookies. You could have 40. Now do you want one? And I would really put myself in that situation of like having a plate as high as my face, like of eating those cookies. And I would think, "Mm, maybe I still did. Maybe I would think, yeah, I do. I do want a cookie. And after I'm done with the cookie, I'll see if I want another one. But it was like, no, sometimes I I realized like, you know, once the emotional charge was gone and I felt like I really had access to whatever I wanted, the cravings weren't so strong. You giving that example reminds me a long time ago when I was divorced and living in San Francisco by myself and I was eating Oreos and um, the phone rang and it was back in the day when you would actually answer the phone when it rang. And (laughs) so, so it was a friend of mine also named Sarah and she was like, Hey, what you up to? And I said, Oh, I was just debating whether to have a fourth Oreo or not. She's like, uh, what's the debate? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, gosh, she makes it sound so simple. Like there's, (laughs) and and also I think Pam, you might get the award for being the first guest to ever use the word kerfuffle on our podcast. So thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate that. Oh, and I want to say one last thing. I feel like three is a good number. Yes. One last thing about intuitive eating that is really the heart of it that I think gets missed a lot. Like I think a lot of people are like, okay, wait, so it's eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. Sure. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the real underpinning of all 10 principles of intuitive eating is to meet yourself with compassion, meet your emotions with kindness. So that means say you do overdo it. We all overdo it. You know, you're at a buffet, you're at a party, everything looks good. You eat a lot and you're like, Ooh, I have a stomachache. I don't feel that great. Fine. It's human. Instead of deciding that you're a worthless human being because you made the decision to have, you know, three too many plates of food, ask yourself, okay, what was going on for me? Just with curiosity and kindness instead of judgment, what just get real curious, what just happened? Or, you know, at the end of the night, maybe on a normal night, you're at home and you were just in your pantry zoning out at 830 at night after you put your kids to bed and you're just in there like eating stuff that didn't even taste good. That, you know, does that happen to some people? Sure. It's happened to me. Instead of being like, ah, I can never stay on a diet 
oh my God, what kind of loser am I? I say I have health goals and then I'm in there eating stale fudge stripe cookies. What am I doing? <laughs> Which in my house, actually, that's a misnomer. There would never be a stale fudge stripe <laughs> We love those. Um, but, but, you know, just ask yourself, what was going on for me? What was, what was going on? And, and maybe the answer was you were bored. Maybe you were stress eating. Maybe you were lonely. Maybe a thousand things, but dig into those things. And then from there, maybe you can go, okay, next time, what are some tools? You know, there's a time and a place for emotional eating, but it's not every time. You need to have other tools. So you can ask yourself, what's another, what's another outlet for me besides food? Could I have journaled in that moment? Could I have gone for a walk? Could I have done a little yoga? You know, it's not, and it's not the worst thing to eat food in an emotional moment. It's what do we do? after that? How do we treat ourselves? And it's also, and that kindness extends to other things too. For example, you know, you're going to be in a meeting from five to eight 30. You're not really hungry at four 30, but that's the chance that you have to eat. Intuitive eating would say, okay, you may not be hungry, but you should eat as a form of kindness and self-care, you know, to yourself, go ahead and eat that snack so that at seven o'clock, you're not ravenous with no way of eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Pam, you've been doing this, you said for about four years ago, it sounds like was when you had that epiphany and you've obviously immersed yourself in it. You're now a coach in it. So four years in, do you feel that that's been a long enough time to squash out all your past habits, you know, your disordered eating or is this <laughs> a, a relationship you're still working on? Oh, Sarah, that's so cute. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm 5'11", but I'm so cute. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> God, I wish, I wish. I think that, the, and I've talked to other intuitive eaters. This is like anything else in life, you know, like, like running, like relationships, like strength training, like anything. It's not necessarily linear. And it definitely hasn't been for me. I have my good days and I have my not so great days. And I asked myself, was that, was that really intuitive? No, that was not like, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, do I ever look in the mirror and think, yeah, there's definitely times that my first instinct is to go, not liking what I'm seeing, but that's okay. I'm, I just got back from vacation and now I'm going to eat normal. And, and then I, and I, and now what I, what I used to do was get in like a spiral and be like beating myself up and it could ruin my day if I thought my pants were too tight. Now, yeah, do I have those thoughts? Sure. But now I will A, put on new pants. I'm like, my body's fine. It's the pants. And, <laughs> and I can also have the perspective of, yeah, maybe my tummy's a little bigger. And that's okay. Like, I'm not denying that my tummy might be bigger, but I'm also like, I can add on another fact, like, and that's not the most important thing about me. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. And I could still go on a bike ride or lift weights if I want to. I'm still healthy. You know, nobody else even cares about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is, and this isn't the sense, I'm like looking at this also on a more global level. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live in a world where we judge each other on what we look like. And right now we, we do. And like weight stigma is a real thing. And I'm like, I think it has to start with each of us before we can stop judging each other. We have to at least stop judging ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. So I'm curious with runners, you know, everyone in particular, if you're training for races or whatever else, Runners can get pretty focused on, you know, what I would call something like of a runner's diet, right? You know, thinking about fueling your runs with carbs and making sure you're eating the right amount of protein afterward and that kind of thing. And so how do you balance, you know, maybe the needs that you have for training with intuitive eating? That's a really good question. I would say, first off, it kind of depends who are you and what is your history. If you have super disordered eating past or have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, 
you have to really look deeply and go, can I track and can I keep track of numbers? If you're really trying, if you have serious goals and you're really trying to hit, you know, your certain carbs and your certain protein and all of that. And I totally respect that. I think there can be a place for that in intuitive eating, but can you do that and stay mentally healthy? Mm. That's personal for sure. If you can't, then you have to go, okay, what, how can I eat in a balanced way? And your life has to be balanced, you know? So that would be number one. Number two, I think one way of looking at getting the right amount of nutrients and the energy that you need and being an intuitive eater is looking at how will this make me feel late? Like, how will this aid my recovery? Like, for example, maybe I'm not hungry right after my run. Like for personally, I'm often not very hungry after Mm -hmm, a run, mm -hmm. but I have to ask myself, well, what, what am I going to do tomorrow? And what can I eat now that will optimize my recovery so that I can, you know, feel well tomorrow? So is that necessarily responding to hunger cues? No, but you can think of it as a form of self-care. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure, you're like, well, I want to be in the moment and listening to my body right now. I would say if it's not too triggering for you, and I hate, I think the word triggering is a little overused and I'm try, I'm using it in a intentional way. If it's not too triggering for you, keep a journal and it doesn't have to be a meticulous journal of every single thing you eat, but maybe you do want to journal what you're eating pre, during, and post run. And also journal, how are your workouts feeling? And if you start noticing patterns, then you can tweak things as mm-hmm. needed. And if you're really struggling, I would say reach out to a registered dietitian who has an intuitive eating approach. And I want to say there's a big difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. Actually, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. A registered dietitian, there are standards that you have to meet. They are national. They are, you have to get, I think you have to get licensed in your state. Um, there's like clinical rotations that you have to do. It's a much more of like a professional, rigorous degree. Mm-hmm. So definitely look into a registered di- sports dietitian. And, and you know what? There's a directory you go to, I believe it's intuitiveeating.org. If you just Google intuitive eating on their website, there's a registry of every intuitive eating professional and you can search by zip code. And Mm. many intuitive eating professionals have the RD credentials. Mm. Nice. Good to know. All right. So you touched on self-talk in there when you were talking about looking at your stomach when you come back from a vacation. We all know as athletes that self-talk can be a powerful tool. You know, I've definitely talked a lot about it, especially to myself, I should say, talked a lot to myself, especially after the midpoint of a marathon. But self-talk can also be self-sabotaging when it comes to our perceptions of our bodies or our self-worth. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the first thing we need to do when it comes to self-talk about our bodies and food is recognizing it. Mm Because some of it is so ingrained that we, we don't, we're not even aware of it. One thing that intuitive eating asks us to do is recognize what we call the food police. Mm. It's those little voices that say, are you sure you want to eat that? Ooh, that's bad for you. Ooh, you've had enough of that today, this week, this month, you know, whatever. All the voices that aren't really like your, could we say, higher self, would that be woo-woo to say? (laughs) Um, Anything that's not really from your, I don't know, your soul or your higher self, if it feels like a voice that you know, if you can slow down and recognize it, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this, 
is this my mom's voice? Is this I remember my best friend in high school? Mm. This was in the 90s, right? And she, I remember she was always like, you should never have more than 25 grams of fat per day. And mm. I think I let that go once we decided that fat-free wasn't the way to go anymore, but that was always in my head, you know? And if I had slowed down enough to be like, what's actually going on in my head? I would, I would have realized, oh wait, that's her voice. That was just like a 16-year-old girl telling me how to eat. That's not me. <laughs> so recognizing that those voices are there, number one. And how do we do that? Just slow down a little bit. Um, meditation is helpful. And I think some people get into intimidated by the idea of meditation. All it really needs to be is sitting by yourself with your eyes open or shut. And when you have a thought, go, oh, I had a thought. Okay. On to the next. And just kind of <laughs> observing your thoughts and not doing anything. I try to meditate like five days a week for sometimes it's only three minutes, but that helps me kind of stay grounded. You know, journaling can be a really powerful tool, but recognizing those thoughts, that's huge. That Give that as much time as you need to really get clear on what is my food police saying? And then whose voice is that? Is that me? And then, okay, if it doesn't sound too kooky, have a conversation with yourself, shut it down. Food police is not God, right? What can you say when the food police says, oh, I've had enough of that? You can say, no, actually, I haven't. I really enjoy that or, you know, whatever works for you. Yeah. And, and the same way you would with your running when you start to realize, wait a minute, I just said I was tired, but am I? Have you ever had, um, what's her name? Is it Janae Jacobs, the hungry runner girl? Have you had her on mm -mm, another no. mother runner? Mm -mm. No. Oh, she's awesome. She's, she's been, oh, you have, okay. She's been blogging forever. Yeah. yeah. I read on her blog. When she's really hurting in a race, she asks herself, what part of me is not hurting right now? And she's <laughs> like, and sometimes it's only my earlobe that stuck with me. I'm like, but I love that, right? Yeah. So get yeah. creative. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. So for people who are listening, who maybe are recognizing some of these ingrained patterns from over the years, what would your advice be for how they can, you know, take those first steps to stop micromanaging their food and the way they eat? Uh, that's a really good question. This might be a little bit out of the box, but one thing, and it could, it could be really fun. And I would say spend a little time with your journal, set a timer for like 20 minutes and maybe just ask yourself, who am I? What are my values? Write them all down, get them out all, all on paper. And then maybe ask yourself, where does micromanaging my food fit into this? Number one. And why am I putting energy into micromanaging my food that like, is that really helping me be the person I want to be? Hmm. chances are you're going to see that it's not. Like for me, that's pretty powerful to realize I can do so much more and be so much more and be so much more present with my friends and family when I'm eating with them. Instead of thinking about the food, I'm thinking about enjoying that moment. So I think getting clear on like, who am I? Who do I want to be? Does this align? If it doesn't, okay, now what? And then that now what? I would say I love... I love the fourth edition of the book, Intuitive Eating. Check out the book. Mm. It also has a companion workbook. Those workbook exercises can be super helpful. I like the Anti-Diet Podcast with Christy Harrison. Mm. On my podcast called Real Fit, we dive into some intuitive eating stuff. If it's okay to mm -hmm. plug myself and check me out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can follow me on social. I like to put out inspiring tidbits on intuitive eating. And I think if you need to ask for help, ask for help. I'm out here to help, but there's so many other professionals. If you feel like uh, she's fine, but I don't really mesh with her. There are so many people. Check out the Intuitive Eating website and you can see who's a certified intuitive eating counselor. There's just so many resources out there. Also, if, if you're the type of person that's like, 
okay, I would do it, but I don't know. Like I'm still committed to dieting. Like I, I think dieting could work for me. Mm. Highly suggest the um, maintenance phase podcast. You're obviously mm. a podcast listener. If you're listening, that's a mm-hmm. really good one. It's mm-hmm. factual and funny. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. from Portland. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. Portland. <laughs> oh, oh, and you know what I love? If you're more of a podcast person than a reader, check out Evelyn Triboli's interview. Evelyn Triboli is one of the co-authors of the Intuitive Eating book. Mm -hmm. She did a beautiful interview with Dan Harris on the 10% Happier podcast. And you can hear her over the course of an hour basically change Dan Harris's mind. He is solidly (laughs) in the diet camp when they start the episode. And by the end, he's like, oh my God, when we stop recording, I want to see if you have room in your schedule for me. And then they they do a follow-up episode, I think like a year later after he's become an intuitive eater. So yeah, highly recommend that. Nice. Well, I wish I could have been there with you gals in Boulder, but it's been a delight talking with you across Zoom, Pam. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Thanks. Wow. Uh, Pardon the pun, but Pam gave me a lot of things to chew on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to admit I was surprised by how many things landed for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that probably goes back to how ingrained it is in our culture, mm-hmm. you know, that we're kind of controlling the way we eat mm-hmm. and behave. And so, yeah, I think especially for I don't know, certain generations, I I know, I Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's Mm -hmm. definitely eye-opening and worthwhile to listen to what she has to say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And gosh, I think the timing of it is just impeccable. So I'm really glad we did that. Yes. All right. Well, our program Joy to the Run opens on Monday, November 14th, which is this Monday. If you're listening the weekend, this episode comes out. Joy to the Run is our month-long free Keep You Moving program. It kicks off on December 1st. Uh, There's clever, spirited workouts designed by Dimity. They're either running or walking, and there's strength training. There's a private Facebook group, so you get great community support and encouragement. Plus, we have some amazingly cute merch. So again, this program is free. It runs for a month, and registration opens on November 14th. You can find out all about it by going to anothermotherrunner.com slash joy 2022 again another motherrunner.com slash joy 2022 our podcast today was produced in st paul minnesota by barry medora from fire on the bluff 